Okay, so in this character discussion, uh, I would like to make sure we know who survives, because it's not a lot of people. <laughs> Hold on, let me just, um, one. Uh-huh, two. Two, it's two. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I am 20 years of seething diasporic rage. And this week, we talk dark academia with R.F. Kwong's latest novel, Babel, or The Necessity of Violence, an arcane history of the Oxford Translator's Revolution. Before we explode our adoptive fathers, remember you can help us on Mortify the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for a monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. A little bit of housekeeping at the top of the show before we get into it. Uh, you might be like, Mortified, where have you been? And the answer is Layla's been busy and depressed. So you're getting two episodes this week. Uh, you got Secret of Nim on Monday, and then today, surprise, bonus episode, you're getting Babel. And from here, hopefully, we will continue on a beautiful, steadfast, weekly uh, cadence, as we always have. Pardon the interruption. Love y'all very much. Uh, let's talk about Babel. Layla. Aaron. Uh, when was the last time? Do you remember the last time we talked about an RF Kwong book? Uh, I feel like we talk about RF Kwong books near constantly. But like a full episode, do you remember? I mean, it was the end of the Poppy War trilogy, was it not? Right. Do you remember how we acquired that book? Oh, yes, we did get an arc, <laughs> which was crazy. The only arc that we, I've ever received personally. Um, it was very generous of them. Thank you. Shout outs to um, the publishing house that published the Poppy we War series. We haven't abused Harper our Collins. status as uh, micro-influencers nearly fucking enough. We really need to fucking try some more uh, one of these days. Listen, one of these days we are going to get extremely famous and then it's over for you hoes. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, last time, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the end to the popular trilogy, which, you know, is still my favorite trilogy of novels. Um, you know, I, I think Babel is, is a very, very good book. It's certainly my favorite book I've read this year, but I think we'll, it, it, it is very clear that there's, there's like themes and ideas that, that come up in Babel that were developed in the Poppy War, but also you can tell that RF Kuang took a little bit of time to think about what she wanted to be as a writer um, and really kind of like took her style and did something new with it in Babel. Um, and this is, you know, I, I was already pretty primed to like this book, but it did exceed, you know, my expectations. I thought it was great. Um, and I'm very excited to talk about it with you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will say this. Um, I... It took me a little while to read the book just because I've been, again, busy and depressed. Uh, but it, I am a little bit... I, th I think what I should have done is probably muted it and uh, turned off RF Kong's retweets while I still hadn't read the book. Because my experience of it was a little bit... Um, Everyone, I've, I've seen so many reactions of, like, raw emotional devastation at the end of the book. And that's, it just, like, doesn't line up with my experience of reading it. Like, I wasn't emotionally devastated so much as excavated, I think. <laughs> R.F. Kuang took, like, a chisel to me and just cracked me open and took all my deepest fears about uh, my moral stances and, and laid them bare in front of me. Um, so it, it was a fluctuation of, like, dread and rage and occasional uh, sadness. Um, so yeah, I, I do wish I kind of like isolated myself to the experience a little bit more, but uh, no, absolutely one of my favorite books of all time and certainly like my favorite that I've read this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's one aspect of those retweets which is like, you know, you're gonna get, you know, the author is gonna retweet the most like, you know, flattering stuff, right? Like, oh, this, you know, ruined me. Like RF Kong literally decorated or dedicated a book um, by, by saying, like, you should bring a bucket for your tears, uh, readers. So, like, you know, she likes that shit. Um, but also, you know, I think there is, there's probably people who have never read the Poppy War series who read Babel and were like, whoa, that's, wow, this was so emotionally, uh, devastating. It's like, yeah, you should have read her other three books because they're always like this, you know? She doesn't pull punches. <laughs> it's so funny because I feel like 
the reaction people got out of Babel, which is a, a deeply visceral emotional reaction uh, about the, the characters, right? And what happens to the characters. Um, spoiler alert, it's a tragedy. A lot of people die. Because um, Arf Kong likes to write tragedies and she's incredible at it. Um, I feel like the, the devastation people felt at like the character losses, I just couldn't feel because I was so entrenched in like the the meta narrative of the whole thing um, about the ways in which the criticisms of you know uh anti-imperial action apply to our real world yeah we'll talk about that yeah uh, we'll talk about that as we sit here and do a fucking podcast i did cry once when one character died i will let you guess which one yeah i feel like i know um i cried at the very very end with the last line but that was about it I teared up. I did tear up, but I, I did it. The only one of the deaths really hit me. Uh, and, and we'll talk about it. So, mm-hmm. uh, it is your turn to give us a plot summary, I believe. Yeah, this will be good. Cause I read this book two months ago, <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, we open a young boy from Canton. Uh, he is taken by an old white man, uh, who, claims to have some sort of relationship with him uh, to study at the Translation Institute at Oxford University in uh, England. Um, it is located in a big fuck-off tower that they call Babel um, because of the work that's done there. Um, this boy is given the name Robin Swift. Uh, and for the first couple um, you know, chapters, he studies uh, everything about languages. Uh, his key, you know, the thing that makes him special is that he knows how to speak um is it is it mandarin right that's that's okay it is mandarin he's that's his and maybe a little cantonese uh he speaks i feel like both he, but mandarin is the one that yes Oxford is okay interested in. thank you um but like that's that's his thing because um uh languages are very important in this world's magic system um and that's why he's being you know groomed to study at this prestigious institution uh by this rich english guy uh which he really quickly learns um he learns that his the guy who's training him is a huge piece of shit um which uh is is unfortunate it does color their relationship a little bit um but anyway, after a couple of years, he's ready to enter the institute, uh, and he meets some friends. Um, Robin meets Raimi, uh, Letty, and Victoire. Um, that's how you pronounce it, right? Victoire, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, who are all going to be like on his cohort of translators. Uh, they become great friends, you know. Um, sometimes in college, you get a group of four people together, and they become really good friends. Um and then they um, all kill each other <laughs> later on. Uh, so, but then as he is entering the school, Robin is contacted by a man named Griffin, um, who uh, is his half brother, as it turns out, because the guy who's been raising him, uh, Professor Lovell, um, is his dad. Just it's fucked up. Uh, basically, he convinces Robin to help members of the Hermes Society, which is an anti-imperial society, uh, steal silver bars from Babel. Uh, and sidebar, the way that magic works in the system is that if you inscribe two different words that have roughly the same translated meaning on the opposite sides of a silver bar, it gives that silver bar a magical property depending on the words and the translation used, um, which is a really neat magic system we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but then basically after, you know, he goes through school and he starts getting more in deep with the Hermes Society, eventually things come to head between him and his dad, uh, the professor. Um, there's like this diplomatic mission that goes bad because Robin's just like, hey, uh, I've been studying at this this institution to help build up uh, empire. And I'm realizing that that maybe isn't such a good thing. Um, and he talks to like this this Cantonese, like essentially like a governor diplomat sort of guy. I don't remember exactly his, his official title, but he's, you know, some sort of high-ranking administrator. Um, and he admits to the this guy that, like, well, the English are never actually going to bar- barter with you in good faith. And that guy's like, oh, cool. And then he sets all the opium that the British were trying to get them to buy on fire. Um, and I believe that is how one of the opium wars started uh, in real life. But um, anyway... It's a pretty fucking metal move. Yeah, it's really good. Um, but uh, Professor Lovell doesn't take kindly to that. And Robin doesn't take kindly to Professor Lovell being a dick. So he explodes him uh, <laughs> using one of those silver bars. Uh, it's it's really good. I love it. Um, that doesn't make anything any better. So as they um, you know keep trying to figure out how to hide the body and deal with the university, um, they eventually completely have to turn to the Hermes Society, who takes them in. Um, 
But as they are, you know, hiding out from the university and planning their next moves, Letty, who it should be noted, is the only white and English member of their organization, of their little group of four. She's um, a white woman. White woman, yes, right. Very important. Yes, that is extremely important to note. Um, gives away the their location of their hideout. Um, there is a fight in which Raimi is killed. Uh, she shoots Raimi. Um, it is unclear if it is accidental or on purpose, but if you read the book, you could probably come down on uh, who on the reasons uh, why Raimi is shot. Um, but basically, Victor and Robin um, get imprisoned, but then they get smuggled out of prison, I think. I don't remember how they get out of prison, but I know they are imprisoned at some point. Um, but after that, it gets real, real bad, um, and they decide to take over the Translation Institute with guns. Oh, Griffin uh, busts them out of prison. It took me a second. Oh, okay. Good for Griffin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, at some point, Griffin dies, unfortunately. Um, I think maybe during the prison break. Um. A little bit after. On the okay. way out. Yes, that's what I mean. Right after the prison break. Um, and... They take over the, the, the tower and then a siege. The last act, the, la- the act five, is just the siege of Babel, which fucking rules. Um, a bunch of Ludites show up and they do this. They do the fucking Les Mis thing and they put up barricades um, and it kicks ass. Um, but, you know, after, you know, several days. And also one cool thing about the world is that, like, because of all the way that the magic has been integrated into the British Empire at this point, um, the fact that they've taken over the tower means that nobody can upkeep all their magic and the bars are degrading, which means that like all of England is slowly like collapsing and getting all these like weird technological accidents um, to the point where Westminster Bridge falls down, London Bridge fucking falls down, um, which owns uh, and is the coolest uh, chapter in the book because it's one sentence and then there's... Um, a footnote that's just like pages and pages of catastrophe. Uh, this book has so many interesting footnotes and again, great, great use of footnotes. Uh, this is what you get when you get an academic writing a book and uh, an academic who's also a big fucking dweeb. Um, anyway, they realize that like they've done about as much damage as they can do short of destroying the tower before the English army um, comes and storms the tower. So they do blow up the tower in the end, um, killing everyone inside, including Robin. Um, that's how the book ends. Uh, and the last note is that, um, you know, he hadn't been able to remember his old, his old name, but his last thing is his, he remembers his sound of his mother calling his name. And that's what got me, uh, great poignant ending. Uh, and, um, yeah, just devastating. <laughs> just really, really, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. I think. Yeah. I think my, my last note, uh, in my document where I was taking a couple of notes was, uh, oh, wow. Fucked up book. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and I was like, "That's you should push put that on every R.F. Kuang book because that's what they're about." Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. They get they get real fucked. Uh, though honestly, I'm I'm waiting for the Iron Widow sequel to be also very fucked, and the She Who Became the Sun sequel to be incredibly fucked. Listen, we love supporting Asian authors who love making miserable, miserable novels. Yeah. Jesus Christ, for real. Okay. So in this character discussion, uh, I would like to make sure we know who survives because it's not a lot of people. <laughs> Hold on. Let me just, um, one. Uh-huh. Two. Two. It's two. Great. Okay. So, <laughs> we have, we have seven, I think, <laughs> seven main characters and two of them survive. Great. Love this for us. So we start with Robin. Uh, Robin, uh, again, he's the point of view character. So we live in his head. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a sweet boy who is very anti-confrontational and just kind of, uh, had, he's the Naruto, but what if yes, Naruto- Yes, he's our protagonist, right. But what if Naruto didn't believe it? Yeah, what if that- Naruto was biracial and had a lot of complicated <laughs> feelings about imperialism? Yeah, what if what if well Naruto arguably does have a lot of complicated feelings about imperialism, but you know, what what if he mm, what if he But but Robin doesn't become the king of England at the <laughs> but end. But that's but that's what I mean is like what if he didn't believe it, you know? Yes, I guess that's true. Uh so Robin uh just wants everyone to leave him alone so he can be at this translation institute with his buddies. And what I uh, admire about this book is R.F. Kuang spoils her own novel. Like, on page 88, they have this, like, really cute scene where they're like, oh, we're at Oxford, we're getting to know each other, we're 
bonding. We're like the diverse translation cohort. And, you know, we're not so close yet that like in the future, Rami will be wearing scarves that Victoire knits and Robin will be getting little pastries for, uh, uh, or yeah, no, sorry, I, I flipped that. Letty knits, and then Robin will be getting little pa- pastries for Victoire because she loves them so much from the window. And too bad that uh, after they do all that, um, they will have to fight it out about their upbringing, and they will like betray each other and stab each other in the back. What a shame! And that's like page eighty-eight of the book, and you're like, oh god. <laughs> that's one thing that I liked about Babel is that like you know it's the entire arc of the story is pretty clearly foregrounded like there's there's things it's like that the Chekhov's guns are not subtle right um Kwong just kind of puts them out there and it's like hey this is hey this is the mechanism by which the book will end you know this is these are the the plot points that are going to become tension points um and that's like I really like that because you know as somebody who who one is not a subtle writer and two um is not a pretty not an insightful reader in many ways i like to have my stories themes foregrounded um and like uh, right there's there's conversation you know we we both lived through the late 2000s um so you know conversations about plot twists being such a big deal um you know we're we're over that culturally i think but like it is nice just to be like i have a clear example of like you can know everything that's going to happen in the story and also understand that it's a great story (laughs) I don't think we're over the plot twists thing, honestly. Like, I feel like some movies still go out of their way to, like, shock and awe, you know, like, confuse Mm -hmm. you and get really contrived. I agree with you, though. Like, I am not subtle, and I don't like... Like, when I work on astral heart right like when i when i work on the script i'm not trying to surprise the reader like i think from the get-go it should be pretty obvious i that i am like the anti-rf kwong in which i go hey everything's gonna be fine at the end of this but these people need to make some personal changes before that happens um and i think it's fine to, to foreshadow that but like yeah there's there's like at one point the the one professor what's his name uh the intro one um is it playfair Playfair, Professor Playfair, yeah. thank you. Uh, like, he gives his demo and he's like, never, ever, ever use this word because it will have this very specific effect of ruining all the silver. <laughs> Don't do that. And then you're sitting there and you go, that's Chekhov's. Ah, I see. <laughs> Chekhov's translation. That's about <laughs> that's to how they. That's how this book ends. Oops. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that it's not subtle. Um, and I also love that, like, so this was our like tangent talking about Robin. I think what I love about Robin is that his descent into like, I won't call it madness, but his just descent period is so like juicy because he kills his dad and it's all downhill from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And- um, we'll, we, we'll talk about this, you know, in our talking points, but I will say, of all the characters that I, you know, that are in this book, Robin is the one that I identify most with um, because of the biracial thing, but also because of his his complicated, you know, relationship with privilege and imperialism. Um, and like that's that's where that's where Miss Kwong gets the knife out and scalps you. Um, and we'll uh, we'll get there. But yeah, um, if right, like it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, white people get such a bad rap in this book because they're, you know, racist imperialists and Letty betrays everybody. But I don't know, man. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think, yeah, anybody gets out out of this. (laughs) Everybody, everybody has a flaw. Everybody is condemned in some ways. Um, Uh, So you said it yourself. Professor Lovell is not a good man. Uh, So his whole thing is that he is Robin and Griffin's biological dad. And he, like, won't even acknowledge the humanity of their mothers. Uh, you never get an answer as to what his relationship was with their mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does say to Robin some escalating things because he keeps trying to be like, you know, say her name or, like, acknowledge her. Like, you mm-hmm. let her die. You could have saved her. And Professor Lovell the first time says she's just some woman, and then mm-hmm. the same t- second time he uses a slur instead of woman, and mm-hmm. it's not a slur for a woman; it is a slur for a Chinese person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when Robin kills him. And you know what? Get it, girl. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that Lovell is an especially, you know, complicated uh, character. I don't think he's supposed to be. Um, I think he is really just like, here's a bad guy that does bad things and has a very bad point of view. Um, and that's uh, unfortunately just just how, how a lot of people at Babel are. And, you know, when he, he dies, you're supposed to feel good about it. He's complicated to Robin. He's not complicated to us, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, looking... I think one of R.F. Kuang's, like, biggest strengths is her understanding of not having to spell out the human condition, right? Like, Robin, on paper, should hate this guy, but it is still his dad and his guardian, which is why all the times Lovell is, like, trying to be super manipulative and is calling him ungrateful. That's why that stings so much. Right, because uh, Robin has to come to terms with these like personal feelings, and and for the housekeeper who was like his surrogate mom, um, but yeah, Lovell himself is like not a complicated man. He's just a shitty, shitty, shitty guy, um, and he sucks, and I hate him, and I'm glad he's dead. Um, yeah. Um, so, uh, R- Ronnie is the first person Robin meets. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very charming. He's very funny. Uh, and he does die also. Yeah. Um, I like, I like Rami a lot. Um, you know, I, I, especially because he is, I believe, I don't know if he's what we would consider Pakistani, but you know, he is, he is from India and he's, you know, an Indian Muslim. Calcutta. He's from, okay. So he is Indian. Um, um, but like, yeah, he's great. Um, and I mean, you get... There's a lot of stuff going on with with uh, Raimi that like never like gets foregrounded because uh, Robin is so caught up in his own narrative. But like there are a lot of subtle hints, or not not even that subtle, but like you know there there are hints that Raimi is in love with Robin, um, and that and then there it's explicit that Letty is in love with Raimi, um, and like that whole. It's so funny that that love triangle is like such a big thing in the background because Robin never engages with it except to comfort Letty when when Raimi doesn't want to dance with her or whatever um, in the one scene and like uh, it's so good uh, his his like centrality to like the the destruction of the of the four of the pair of them is is really good. Yeah, I, I, it is really obvious that like. He has a crush on Robin, and Robin mm-hmm. is just like the funniest things Robin ever says. Is like he's so loyal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's like literally a bit where like Robin's just like, "Oh, you know, who would you marry if if you could, you know, if you could get away from all this?" And Raimi's just like looks at me. He's like, "You don't know, you fucking moron." Uh, and Robin's like, "What?" And then Raimi's like, "Never mind." <laughs> it's really good. There's just. There's like a couple points where it's just like he's clearly in love with you, sir. Maybe you should address this. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, so like dumb. their little their little outings in the beginning are very cute and very romantic, mm-hmm. and like yeah, mm-hmm. they're great. I love their chemistry. Uh, rip, rip to a king. Um, Letty. Okay, Letty does do one very funny thing in the very beginning of the book that I do want to call out, which is that when when Raimi introduces himself, mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes. He goes, uh, uh, my name is uh, Ramiz, but uh, Rami to friends. And she goes, hello, Ramiz. <laughs> <laughs> Letty rules up until the point where she doesn't, right? Letty um, rules up until you get Victoire's perspective. And then retroactively, she doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I, you're going to have to bring that up when we talk about Victoire, because I don't remember it. But I do remember there's a lot going on with her. And there's a lot of, like, interesting stuff with, like, Letty's backstory that, like, we don't. So, like... We talk about how R.F. Kuang does character motivation very well, um, and, like, she goes out of her way to make sure that, like, you get why Letty turns at the end. Obviously, one, because she's, you know, a, a white person and doesn't really, can't really fully engage with, you know, the British colonial, you know, anti-imperial project in that same way that the rest of them can. She doesn't have skin in the game in that same way. But, like, we get all this stuff about her ba- her backstory and, like, her brother who is supposed to be, like, the great guy, but he just sucked and, like, never, you know, he just got, like, drank all the time and then, like, she took his place and she was just like, I can't believe this dude throw- threw away everything um, to, you know, at Oxford when I, you know, I'm just struggling to get by and, you know, I, I really, I like her as a, as an antagonist. Um, and you know, like there's, uh, the thing about Babel that hit home for me is that like 
So in my undergrad, there were four people that it was, I was part of a, a quad of people that I was really close with. Um, and like, I, I'm still close to two of those people to, to this day, but like, I did only have, you know, the one, there's only one white woman in that group and I love her. She got me through nursing school, but there were some times where we had conversations about race where I had to look at her and I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, yeah and that's why letty really works for me because i was like i know i know letty (laughs) letty is interesting in that way because like like you said it's it's white women that i've been surrounded by like my whole life who when you have these conversations with them they just can't empathize and it's it's reminiscent almost of like the legacy of the suffragette movement of the 20s where you know you go to school and everyone's like oh susan b anthony she was so great at you know saratoga falls and she susan b anthony's literally buried near my university so i would like drive by her grave all the time drive by her memorial and then like you you go anywhere else outside of like school and you learn about the suffragette movement it's like oh they were really racist actually Um, A great book about the suffragette movement um, that does address Susan B. Anthony's racism is by Alex E. Harrow, and it's also about witches, and it's called The Once and Future Witches, I believe. Um, And you should read that if you have any interest in the suffragette movement, um, because it's great, and Alex E. Harrow is great. Um, But to to, foreground what we're talking about when we're we're talking about the ways in which Letty doesn't get it, I pulled up a quote um, that she says, like, um, they're talking about how they should work with the Hermes Society. um, And Letty says, but why? Why involve them? We should just do this ourselves. We should make pamphlets. We should go to Parliament. There are a thousand options we've got other than going through some, some secret ring of thieves. This degree of collusion, of corruption, if the public just knew, they wouldn't possibly be for it, I'm certain, but operating under ground stealing from the university that only hurts your cause doesn't it um and it's like yeah she's a white liberal right who cannot understand like why when people talk about how antifa um you know like uses violence to you know fight folks like it's like oh well they're they're just as bad as the nazis and it's like well uh, that's uh it's an interesting thing to say isn't it (laughs) it's nice to dream of a world where you can write to parliament, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that Babel set up really well before they got to that quote uh, was that uh, because of because uh, of the cohort, like, traveling with a lot of people in power and, like, translating for them and being exposed to all these people in high places and hearing the things they say behind closed doors... Like, that's not even an option, right? Because you're exposed to, like, levels of casual racism that are probably shocking to some people, but, you know, not really shocking to, you know, like we just said, you know, we've we've been exposed to some folks who, just like Robin, you know, we get accepted into, like, white society because we're biracial a lot of the times, and it's like you're never quite in and you're never quite out. And it's, um, Arf Kwong does this thing that I really enjoy, but she'll sneak a fucking bludgeon of a sentence, uh, between two completely normal sentences. There's a conversation, uh, Robin is having with professor level and they're talking about, um, if it, like, a and I think it, and it, Adamic language, like a language that that has no root, the original human language, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're having a theoretical discussion of like, oh, well, what if what if you raised two babies with no exposure to a spoken word at all? Would they, you know, what what would their first word be? And Professor Lovell says, no, that wouldn't be humane for the baby. You could maybe buy a baby and try <laughs> that, but no. And it's just so it's such a bludgeon in the most casual way possible. Um, really, um, really encapsulates the experience of like being in those rooms with those kinds of people. And that's just how they're programmed to think. And you're like, oh, okay. So there is no getting through to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes Letty such an effective character. I I think is just because like, if you know, if you know, like what we're, you know, what she is representing, like, then it is 
you know, her betrayal is just so inevitable and sad because also, like, she is just such a good friend and does, like, love them all very much, even if she's not doing it in an especially but good way. That's the thing is she thinks she's a good friend. And then you get Victoire's perspective on the whole thing and she's like, yeah, she literally never listened to me once about mm-hmm. anything about the slave trade about you know i tried to warn her i tried to explain to her i tried to get through to her and then you know it gets to the point where like her R- Remy, and robin are like all talking to letty desperately on the boat when Lovell dies and they're like you know this is what's going on this is why we have to do it this is how we feel these these are the injustices that this empire has committed like these are the atrocities these are the things that are continuing these are our experiences and they like pour themselves out to her and robin dense ass robin at the end notices he's like we all like had this weird feeling at the end of like doing that when letty was crying and like clinging to to victor or Remy. and he figured it out at the end of the chapter he's like it's weird that like we just told her all of these atrocities and yet we're the ones comforting her. Yeah, yeah, brutal. Great, great line. Uh, excellent, excellent yeah. work, uh, Rebecca. Um, that's one thing I should uh, point out. Uh, R.F. Kong's real, or not real name, right? Her real name is Rebecca, but that's not her birth name. Um, she, you know, she was born in China and her, her parents changed her, gave her an anglicized name when, when she immigrated over, right? The, like the, the act of naming and the, the the fact that some characters' names are not the same as the ones that they were born with is very intentional and very personal for the author. And like that's the well, I'll drop a link to this uh interview that she did with Fantasy Magazine, but where she talks about all that stuff. But like she talks about how like, you know, the the stuff about, you know, people changing names, like um the 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 interviewer asks like, you know, you know, why why is that so, you know, significant? And she's like, you know, the 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 translation stuff that comes up in Babel is not new and it's not ancient right it's it's still happening people still have to change their their names and change the way they present themselves um so it's like if you haven't noticed it's just because you're probably part of you know uh, the major majority culture um and that's i think that's something worth noting yeah uh i mean like my name is anglicized my name is yeah, not exactly right. my birth certificate uh mm-hmm. and that i mean like talk about a bludgeon right uh it nobody made the decision consciously i just remember um my stepdad's friend is a lawyer and he's the one that handled most of our immigration paperwork and i just remember standing next to him as he's like filling out these forms for me and i couldn't read in english yet uh i knew like three words coming over and i just remember he like didn't even consult my mom didn't consult my dad didn't consult me he just wrote down a different name on the paper and that's it. That's, that's been the name that had for 20 years. Uh, my angel Victoire, uh, broke my heart the first day of school because, uh, Anthony was asking them all about the languages that they speak. And she says, French and Creole. If you think that counts. Yeah. Yeah. Woof. There's a lot of stuff in there about how, like, they won't let her, like, there was something, like, she wanted to study, she wanted to do, like, a paper or something in She wanted Cre- to do some Creole. West African languages, yeah. but there was no grammatica for it. Yeah, like, just completely inaccessible because this just was not interesting. It was, you know, there was no way for the Empire to profit off of that, so they just didn't study it. Yep, she had to learn Spanish instead. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't remember a lot about Victoire except for the fact that she, she makes it out. She is one of the two who is able to leave the tower as it is destroyed. Um, be, not for a lack of, you know, you know, like everybody could have, right? They all could have just surrendered or left and, and not destroyed the tower. But like, there's a very important and, and moving conversation with between her and Robin at the very end where she's just like, Robin, I believe in this project 100%. You know, I do. You know, I have I have just as much, if not more skin in the game than you do but I want to live. And like, that's just like, ah, God, I don't blame you, girl. Not at all. Yeah. It's, uh, I, the way that the fact that Victor and Robin are like the last ones left and the way they approach, um, being able to survive in this world and what, like what survival costs, uh, what personal survival costs is like super interesting. I, I feel like it gives a readers an opportunity to like, make a judgment almost right of of what do you what do you think is like do you think robin's a coward 
for ending it all, right? Like you get to, you get to kind of make that choice. Uh, it's 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 so difficult because like I feel like especially in these times, uh, you know, sometimes you, you hear Robin say like, yeah, I, like I understand like conceptually the future we're dreaming of, but I just don't see it, right? And so you get to it's one of those things where you have to ask yourself the question like, what is hope? But heading towards that future anyway even if you don't see it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i love victoire i would die for her yeah yeah she's she's great and i'm glad that she made it out um you know she and letty are the two people who survive uh letty sides with empire and victoire goes on i assume to help other Hermes societies victoire has um, a very epic exit she's like riding out on a horse in the rain it rules yeah the the only, the only person who gets their glorious end, which is which is nice. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Griffin, uh, the, the <laughs> Robin's extremely evil older brother. Yeah, yeah. He's your anarchist older brother that uh, eventually <laughs> tells you that um, voting is not as important as direct action. There is a f- speaking of footnotes. Uh, you brought up earlier. There's just like a huge footnote about the devastation of the fucking London Bridge falling. Uh, there's a footnote right after Griffin dies. Uh, 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 just what a, what a death in this book is so insane because like nobody lingers on anything. It's, and it happens so quickly. It, it really illustrates the devastation of guns, right? Like we read, uh, she who became the sun and we like the death of the, the prince in there was slow, right? Like he steps onto the sword. He has a moment afterwards. Anyone who dies by a gun in this book dies by that fucking gun. They drop. Uh, and Griffin, Griffin is one of those people he faces off against, um, what feels like his ex-boyfriend. Yeah, there is a footnote that talks about how, like, they have a very long and complicated history, and it alludes that there is, like, so much going on between those two. And I think the one girl that turned out to be a traitor. Yeah, that, the one white girl. That, yeah, that Griffin exploded uh, with the same bar that uh, his brother used to explode their dad. So, um. yeah, uh, Griffin did explode her. That, and that's the thing. His footnote was so sad because it basically... Um, it like explained how he exploded her sure but he he didn't necessarily mean to he acted on impulse just like robin did just like letty did you know uh it it was that moment of like tension and rage and he didn't know what to do and so he just said it and he had no idea of like the consequences and then how he kind of absorbed that violence and made it part of his character because there was no room or time for anybody to process it or to grieve or to forgive him so he like grafted it onto his personality. I was like, that is some of the saddest shit I think I've ever read in my Griffin, life. Griffin is a very sad character because like we are introduced to him as like he like Robin finds him like stealing from Babel one night. Um, and Griffin asks him to do this spell that only works if you can speak Mandarin. Um and, you know, Robin does it and, you know, turns him invisible and they're able to get away. But later Griffin reveals, like, he doesn't dream in Mandarin anymore. Um, and you need to be able to dream in that language in order for the spell to work. And, like, that is the most heart- heartbreaking diaspora shit that's just like, ah, you've been you've been a part of, away from, you know, the thing that the half of you for so long that you don't even, you can't access it anymore. It is completely gone. You've lost it forever. And, like, that's, uh, it's really sad. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, you get the kind of internal perspective on that from Robin and, you know, his time spent with Griffin. And then you get the, like, inhuman cruelty of Lovell, like, basically using that as a variable in his weird experiment. Like, even Griffin's like, yeah, he didn't let me bake long enough. That's why he left you there longer. So, it, oof. Oof, my man. Uh, <sighs> any other characters you wanna? I I can't think of any. Um, I, I know there's like a couple cool professors and Anthony, who who is like one of the main leaders of um, the Hermes Society, are, are really cool. But like, I don't, I can't remember specifics about them. Yeah, they're all fine. Um, 
the, you know, the, the various professors and uh, they all, they're all very, There's also like, the political. one Ludite guy who helps helps defend the tower. He rules. He uh, does rule is the thing. He brings them pillows and blankets and he's like, these are on loan. <laughs> uh, don't bleed on back. these, please. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he gives me big John Brown vibes. It's like, that's cool. Yeah, they're all, they're all extremely cool. No, great characters. Uh, do you want to take a swing at which, which death made me cry? Um, Raimi. No, believe it or not. It happened so fast, I was in shock. That's true. Raimi's death is not lingered on. Um, is it Griffin? It's Griffin. Okay, please Griffin say Griffin got me. It honestly was mostly through the eyes of Robin, because I felt like they were just starting to bond. And then yeah. you get that footnote about the fact that, like, you're reminded about how young he is, basically. Mm-hmm. And how, like, scary all of this was, and how, like, all in he got and swept up. I was like, oh, this is fucking heartbreaking, actually. Like, he was robbed of a life much more than Robin was, and Robin was pretty fucking robbed of a life. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh, He's a very sad character, as we've just said. Uh, Not a lot of happy ones in this one, folks. No, no, nobody gets a happy ending here in Babel. Yeah, Uh, so uh, let's, uh, you've got some talking points. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, just like... I think maybe the main one that I wanted to talk about, like we we could talk about how you know uh, translation is an act of betrayal and the match pair system and like how how interesting I think that is, um, because like you know we talked about the importance of names and the importance of like I, I, there's a really fun metaphor that like runs the whole um, match pair system, which is like you have to translate you know one word from one language to another language, and but like the reason that that's magical is because like the the meaning that gets lost in between the translation is what makes the magic work. Um, and that kicks ass. But like just the whole, the whole like core of this novel is just like when you take a word from one language and turn it into another, like you do lose something. Um, and like, especially when you are turning everything into English, right? You, because that, that is a, you know, there is a specific, like intent behind that especially in this book right when it is specifically the the british empire that is trying to turn everything into english because that's you know their language and if if they can have a monopoly on on languages they can you know literally control you know not only just like the whole silver trade but like also the ways which people are able to express themselves um like and that's that's a really interesting part of this book i don't know if you have it insights on that i just thought that we should bring that up before we get into the diaspora sadness yeah i mean you know there's there's a bunch of talk about like constraining languages and i think uh the whole silver monopoly is so narrow-minded because if you think about the way it all works um but if another society or another um group of people that speaks uh, perhaps a less common language uh so like any native tribe in the in the quote-unquote new world right in the americas or canada uh any native tribe in say australia or new zealand or you know uh south asia any any of those languages that are like widely ignored by babel um if anybody gets their hand on silver there and figures it out then there's, like, uh, so much power because they make a big hullabaloo about, like, the fact that the romance languages are kind of losing their potency because they're so overused. Um, and it is the it is the innate fear of that and the, the feeling of superiority that keeps the British wanting to monopolize that trade and monopolize language. But, like, that's not a possible thing. That's not something you could do. There's too much... Uh, there's too many languages, there's too many cultures to be able to do that successfully. And the only way to back the endeavor is to be the horrible racists that treat every other culture as less than, right? Does that make but sense? Like, but that, that's the that is the ultimate goal of empire, right? Um, the the goal of, a, of an empire is to subsume everything else, right? Which is why I think makes it so interesting that like the, you know if if the project of babel is brought to fruition right it automatically renders itself you know um moot because there's no more languages there's a passage there's a conversation that robin is having with playfair where he's just like i think they're talking they're talking about the goal of babel and and robin is like well wouldn't you know 
the act of translation isn't the goal to bring humanity closer together than to give people access to information from other cultures and Playfair goes well isn't that the project of empire yes and it's right. just it is ah oh, it is so tasty because it's like no right it's 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 not but i, I think uh yeah the cruelty is in is in the um the success of Babel is in the inherent racism of the of the of the British and the British Empire, because by by directing the direction of silver away from into very limited pools of quote unquote new languages, right? So like Mandarin, like like Arabic, um, they get to kind of control the spread of power and to control um, the power of silver in and of itself. Um, but then, uh, what should we call it? It's yeah, I don't know. It's nuts. I really love this magic system, um, and I'm I'm like stumbling over my words because there's like 400 different trains of thought uh, co like colliding in my little brain box right now. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's nuts. As somebody who speaks uh, uh, two different languages fluently, like and uh, struggles often with with direct translation because they're they're based on two different systems. Uh, you know, it's, there's so much power in, the translator in a room is the most powerful person, 100%, right? They have to capture tone and connotation, and uh, Robin has an argument with um, some upperclassman fucking tool that invites him to a wine party one night, and he's like, oh, I'm a poet, right? Like, translators, mm -hmm. like, poets get to do whatever. Translators, you guys have to, you know, you're not, you're not creative at all. And Robin schools him, he's like, well, actually... You know, uh, poets get to run free over a page and uh, translators have to dance with shackles on. I mm -hmm. thought that really ruled. Um, so, yeah, no, I, th I think the magic system is incredibly cool. I think the way it's set up is cool. The way that the Empire directs power um, and it has to sustain itself on its own cruelty is just really um, masterfully done. Those are my thoughts. I feel like I'm going to be cutting a lot of myself out of this episode because I'm just going on t full tangents. Like, my brain is broken. No, I think... I mean, you also finished this book at, like, 7 this morning. I did so, do that, yeah. Uh, I feel like you are completely Babel-pilled right now. Um, <laughs> but, like... It's the title of the episode. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, the, the thing that, like, really... You know, the, the thing we've been alluding to is, like, there is this... I'll just read the passage, right? Um, Robin had always been willing, in theory, to give up only some things for a revolution he halfway believed in. He was fine with resistance as long as it didn't hurt him. And the contradiction was fine, as long as he didn't think too hard about it or look too closely. But spelled out like this, in such bleak terms, it seemed inarguable that far from being a revolutionary, Robin, in fact, had no convictions whatsoever. And, like, that's... I think something that a lot of us on the progressive slash leftist side of, um, you know, American politics are feeling like more and more pressure towards, um, certainly me, right? Like this is the thing that when I read this book and I go, I'm Robin, right? Um, you know, as longtime listeners will know, literally went to a private school for, you know, 12 years of my life. Um, an extremely privileged person, um, but also biracial, also in theory, um, caught up in in the idea of like resisting empire and trying to make you know the world a better place for people you know who are, are oppressed or, or suffering under the empire. At the same time, I primarily work in jobs that benefit a government, um, right? Like, and this is this is a, I also wrote a game while I was reading uh, Babel. Uh, called Manifested Destiny, which is free, and we'll put the link in the, in the show. Um, but basically, it, it is about the contradiction of, like, your empire is crumbling, you're trying to do your best, but also your empire sucks. Um, it's like, what do you do, right? Because there's only so much you can do if you are working within a system. And that's the argument that Babel makes, is that, like, at some point, you have to look at yourself and say, I'm either going to perpetuate the system, or I am going to die destroying it. Um, or at least, not maybe not die, but try to resist it forever. And that's going to come with some trade-offs and like that's that's a hard hard thing for me to do because like uh i've lived a pretty good life my whole life and i don't want to give any of that up if at all possible yeah i mean like it's hard to give up creature comforts right um no and, and that's i think that's what we meant in the beginning about like people people like robin people like us get pretty scalped in this fucking novel because like 
you know, um, being a biracial person, like, if you don't hear my last and middle name, I could pass as a exotic white lady, like, white Italian kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I get mistaken for Italian a lot. Sometimes Hawaiian, which is a weird one. Mm-hmm. I don't look Hawaiian whatsoever. But, uh, you know, white people, we all f- fucking look the same to them. Um, yeah, it's... it's um, it's a, I, I, living in times like this, especially like the size of empire, the size of the American empire, the British empire, the French empire, Portuguese empire, fucking Canadian empire for, for fuck's sake, um, is so massive and oversized. And you start to kind of, I think as, at least as I get older, start to understand the contrast between the individual and the machine and the, the sense of helplessness that that evokes, uh, makes it so much easier to just turn the other cheek, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so not a comfortable book to be reading. There's um, there's a Linkin Park album that <laughs> um, has a quote. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it. There is a speech in a Linkin Park uh, album that, has, that comes from Mario Savo. Um, and it basically, here's... Like he talks about the, the ways in which you know you you when you are a worker when you are somebody subject to empire and you are living under the conditions that that make you you know that that make you a part of the the machine of empire. Um, he he says there comes a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers upon all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop and you've got to indicate to the people who run it to the people who own it that unless you're free the machine will be prevented from working at all and like that's that is ultimately what um you know every you know this is rf kwong didn't invent you know <laughs> this concept but it's, it's engaging with the concept of like you either work within the machine and and you are you know subject to being a part of the colonial project or you you know you have to put your body where where your beliefs are, and that's, ugh. it's not a, not a fun thing to think about. Uh, but you know, we'll see, we'll yeah. see what happens. Well, next to our uh, our next thrilling topic, <laughs> is diaspora sadness. <laughs> Hey, it's Mortified. Is- <laughs> Welcome to Mortified the Friendship Quest. <laughs> this has been such an upbeat episode in which we talk about such happy topics. Um, yeah, Diaspora Sadness. Uh, fucking real one, huh? There's just like, you know, because this, you know, the characters in this are, you know, both either immigrants or, you know, multiracial, biracial. Um, there's so much conversation about identity and what it means to be X or Y or where you fall in between. Um, you know, there's there's a quote that, you know, Robin's thinking about how he he's in between these worlds. And he says, um, he felt also a thrum of excitement at the thought that perhaps his unbelonging did not doom him to existing forever on the margins, that perhaps instead it made him special. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I had that thought too when I was a little kid, <laughs> right? Uh, like... That is that is the thing that you're engaging with, you know, when you are trying to figure out where you fit in in the machine of empire. Is that especially when you're somebody who is not from a homogenous background, you're just kind of like, wow, this is weird. Where do I go? I want to I want to be a little puzzle piece. I want to fit. I want my lever to to you know help turn the cogs of this of this machine. But oh no, there's no room for me. Dang. Yeah, there are so many devastating passages in this book where, like, especially Raimi and especially Robin uh, get, like, put on display almost. And uh, especially when Robin is running around at that one racist f- chuckle fuck in, in, uh, in Canton, uh, yeah. he keeps reminding him, he's like, I'm Chinese. I'm yeah. Cantonese. Like, I'm from here. All the things you're saying, it's me. And the guy just stares at him all the time and laughs. And he goes, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it is it is such a bonker spelling out of, like, that line you're always dancing between um, trying not to be a party trick, wanting to belong, 
and then being kind of the exception to the rule, right? Um, it just fucking sucks to read because, you know, you can pull a bunch of examples from, you know, our own lives, I'm sure, of, of moments where we just kind of subjected ourselves to that level of humiliation just because it, like, was masquerading as belonging. And then in retrospect, it just feels bad and you don't understand why for, like, a really long time. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, there's a thing, there's a there's a thread where Robin is, you know, having a panic attack and he's, like, thinking and, like, he, he is spiraling in, in his, his thoughts about the ways in which he, he belongs to, uh, you know, a, a racist culture. And he, he's talking about um, this part in Gulliver's Travels and he says, and Gulliver gets so used to living with his hyumnim master gets so convinced of Hoyumnim's superiority that when he gets home, he's horrified by his fellow humans. He thinks they're imbeciles. He can't stand to be around them. And that's how this, that's Robin rocked back and forth over the bridge. He felt like no matter how hard he breathed, he could not get enough air. Do you know what I mean? And like, that's, that's a thing that comes up in um, the other novels, the, the, poppy war trilogy um because rin also has this this feeling that like when she's dealing with english people or they're not english but they are english um like she has and then even then like at at the very end of the burning god where she's just like oh i can't believe these these stupid people that i rule over you know don't understand what i'm trying to do here when she also turns into an imperialist right she there is a thing about being subsumed in the the main culture the the primary culture where you Everything seems to be so, you know, uh, the rules of the culture seem to be so written in stone because that is, you know, there's so much cultural and political weight behind it that it's just like, well, maybe they're right, you know, maybe the racists are right. And that's, you know, sometimes when I'm having very, very bad days, I go, wait, you know, maybe, maybe I am, you know, there's something wrong with me uh, because of, you know, the ways in which the world works. Um, But like, I just thought that it was very interesting that that Kwong brought brought this this train of thought up again because like you know her experiences in Oxford like she went to Oxford she is an Oxford scholar you know got a master's degree from the school right and like this book is was powered by you know her experiences of you know being there and like being like wow this place is racist huh um, and like you know obviously a different kind of racism but still like you don't you don't write a fucking 200,000 word book uh, and don't have things to base it on yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly not a hobby project, you know, you really gotta, that, this, this novel really fucking came from somewhere. No, it's, uh, I think part of the thing I've had to make my peace with, um, is that I, you know, when we talk about giving things up, I think I've given up uh, a good chunk of, like, my ambitions for financial success and a good chunk of my ambitions for, like, career success, Because I have been in rooms with people who are in very high level positions at very, you know, big corporations. And it's, it's almost, it's like, you know, it's, it's that kind of casual devastation of like a bludgeon of a sentence that comes out of you, at you from fucking nowhere. Um, You know, not, it's, you know, it's, it's just tough. It's tough to be in those rooms and it's tough to to see people act that way and kind of be so powerful that they're untouchable. And there is a part of me that understands that I am also only human. And for all of my lofty morals, I'm not incorruptible. And so I've kind of made my peace with the fact that I would rather stay kind of in the middle and, and, and keep to my morals than risk the perversion of the soul that happens when you kind of detach from reality with enough enough power and enough success and become, you know, part of the the bigger cogs in in any any machine, right? Not not just an imperial yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I, I, so. I mean, here's the thing: is that uh, you know Rebecca Kwong, you know, I don't think that all her condemnations of you know being a cog in the machine are meant for only the reader, right? I think that is partially, you know. I, Rebecca Kwong is not um, unaware of what it means to be a best-selling author in, you know, the United States when the publishing industry is so heavily built on the success of, you know, white authors. Um, and, you know, 
you know, Mary Robinette Caldwell was just talking about how like the diversity panel panel industry in writing is just exists to help white people write, you know, characters of color um, because publishing is a nightmare. Right. And, you know, similarly, R.F. Kwong went again, was an Oxford scholar, you know, went to Georgetown for undergrad is now going to Yale. Right. R.F. Kwong is just as much of a part of, you know, powerful racist institutions as, you know, anyone else. Um, I, and I think that, you know, as just, these condemnations are, and these these things to think about are something that she's also thought a lot about. I think. Well, I think that's you know I think that's part of the the thing that makes the book so. We are our own worst critics, right? Yeah. And so, like, I think I think that kind of intimate knowledge of those institutions is, like you said, it's a condemnation of the self as much as it is a, as, a, as it is a condemnation of others, um, and it comes from a very intimate place, which is what makes it so like exacting you know and so so precise um really a, a, like a like a, a high-tech ballistic missile of a book really targets the fucking soul i think yeah yeah uh, it's definitely one that's going to affect how i um write and read in the future but i am very grateful that i got through it right 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 uh is it time for our marketing minute yeah i mean i was you know the actual question is like how would we put our own dark twist on and dark academia? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I would do like a Babel meets um, Ready Player One. <laughs> you know, I just want to do like a like a, a deeply self-aware condemnation of nerd and nostalgia culture through the lens of dark academia um you know like a cyberpunk um memologist you know who's just excavating the ruins of our modern culture so in this your characters would be they'd be what internet archivists they would be memologists Okay, and they would be they'd be studying the history of the internet and internet memes. Not even just the you know yeah you're right though like 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 media archivists right we're talking people who like maybe even specialize in lost media or like I don't know find some like random janky uh, like unauthorized translations on VHS or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people who have to kind of reassemble the bonkers fucking culture we've crafted mm-hmm. yeah i want to mm-hmm. you know okay i'm coming around on this it's just the phrase babel and ready player one did i am actually literally crying um <laughs> ready player babel yeah i didn't i didn't like that very much um <laughs> but now that you've explained it i'm coming around yeah. i think that could be you know that that could be an interesting conversation about how um you know the ways in which we our internet is constructed you know we lose a lot of meaning just because, you know, as time passes, uh, we become different, you know, language evolves and, and stuff. Yeah, um, I think I think part of the, like, the main themes of my would-be novel, I think I would want to talk about the difference between um, uh, imitation and homage, because I think that gets lost a lot. And I've harped on it before at, in this uh, program mm-hmm. that we've been recording for three years. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you give me 300 pages to talk about it, I think I, I could do an okay job. Mm-hmm. What about you? Sort of like a homestuck, I see. Shut the fuck up. What about <laughs> you? Uh, so, I... Hmm. I One day I'm going to write a, a novel about being in Catholic high school um, and the the ways that that's... Um, and, and, and spirituality and, and privilege and being a person that has a lot of feelings all intersect um i think that'll be that'll be an interesting story if i can figure it get the language to tell it one day i i started to tell it um i started like i have one chapter of a book that's kind of based on that down but it was mostly um it was very close to warhammer 50 40k so i did have to stop writing it and go well they already have that so maybe i'll do something else um, but one day I'll get there. Yeah, and you know what? I will be uh, thrilled. I will be thrilled to read intimate twistings of your fucking Catholic high school trauma. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Was... So mostly be like, wait, so all these teachers are fucks? Well, not all of them, but I don't it's... know a <laughs> single bitch who went to Catholic high school and came out normal. Yeah, listen, if you know, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know a single a single one. Um, well, any last thoughts? You should probably read Babel. Um, I guess R.F. Kuang's literary uh, fiction novel Yellow Face is coming out in 2023. If you want more racism thoughts about from her, um, I don't know if I'll read that one, but I might. I might if if I you know hear good things. I just I don't know. That one might be too real. Like at least in ba- Babel, there's like magic. <laughs> Um, that one might be a little bit hard for me to read, but check yeah, that out. I was just talking today about how I need, uh, my, I'm rereading after this, uh, Cersei, uh, spoiler, spoiler for Ange. I'm hoping he's, uh, behind on this podcast. He asked me uh, to read and annotate a book and send it to him as a gift. So I'm rereading Cersei and annotating it. And I was saying today that after Cersei, I need something that's not a fucking bummer. Yeah. Something light would be nice. Yeah, so give me, uh, uh, you know, email us or call us at 775-573-8882 with your rom-coms, not fucking comedies, uh, you know, fluffy, smooth brain fucking options, because, man, it's like somebody hit me over the head with Babel, right? <laughs> All 550 pages of it. Yeah, not a, not a small book. No. Oh, Layla, when we are not um, spending uh, 70 minutes talking about our sad um, diaspora feelings, uh, where can we be found on the internet? You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Uh, I've been tweeting a lot about food lately, so if you want, like, cool pictures of toast, um, come follow me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron SXL, also on co-host at Aaron SXL. I don't know that i'm gonna be off twitter until it gets real bad but i should probably just start promoting that now uh where i tweet about tabletop rpgs health policy and writing um if you liked our conversation about the bird king i'm also going to have a youtube video out probably at the end of this week um talking about uh, a map mapping making rpg and the ways in which uh the bird king talks about maps and listen if you got this far and you liked hearing my thoughts about um imperialism and uh the ways in which empire shapes the world you're gonna like that youtube video that's at aa Voigt on youtube i do another podcast with my friends michael and josh that's at the bible boys we should have an episode up about the blair witch project hopefully this week um so please check that out our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, how shall we close out this episode? Well, Aaron, uh, I've never met an Englishman that I trusted to do the right thing out of sympathy. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>